also be destructive and destroy things. They can applaud and acknowledge. They can sit in your lap and let others take the lead. And I think um, we're handed Father's Day with all its complications to look at together. We're given these binary um, holidays, Mother's Day and Father's Day, when we all know it's infinitely more complicated than that. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just right up front say one of my aims for today's sermon is to suggest that it's time for Hope to maybe revive the men's group that was here When I first came, there was a men's group that was just at the tail end of its um, being together. For a whole variety of reasons, it dissipated. And I think it's because being a father, being um, human in this complicated world, takes as much support as possible. And in this day of Me Too and... I have to say I'm sympathetic for how difficult it must be to be male in this world. And as we talked earlier in our readings, it is no longer easy to be male, but there is this whole spectrum of what it means to be in your body, claim a gender, claim um, whom you love, And we all need support for how to navigate what it means to be human. So I I suggest this men's group open itself to the whole breadth of conversations of what it means to be a father and what it means to not be a father and what it means to choose not to be a father and what it means to want to be a father and not be able to be a father and what it means to be all those words we've already used, nurturing and protecting and um, express your feelings of safe place to talk about what it means to be in this body that you consider male. And if we're wondering whether it's hard or not to be male, uh, I think I may have suggested to some of you, or um, I went to a workshop just because suicide is so much on people's minds, and oh my gosh, our Mental Health Association of Oklahoma does an incredible job, and I went to one of their, yeah, it was just this week, one of their workshops, they have QPR, which is like CPR, but for disrupting possibilities of someone feeling suicidal, and so there are those statistics that Oklahoma's suicide rate overall is 37% higher. We are the eighth worst in the nation. But then there are the charts that talk about gender and suicide. And if we ever wonder how hard it is to be a man or to consider yourself male, 77% of the suicides are males. And here's a frightening statistic Yes, those between the age of 18 and 45 are at a high risk for suicide. Lots of stress going on in your life. Uh, 
But the highest rate of suicide is for men between the ages of 75 and 84. <laughs> I see a lot of you out there, and it, it breaks my heart of what it must mean to be at that end of your life and male. Difficult, challenging, walking on ground that is not settled. And I know it won't surprise you that veterans are at high risk, extremely high risk. That's just a little window into how, um, how many conflicting expectations and stresses we put on each other. And since it's Father's Day, we're talking about we put on men. We want you to be the strong provider, and we want you to be sensitive. We want you to be understanding. We want you to hold your ground and be willing to fight for our country. It's not, we, we expect a lot. And it's no surprise that those archetypes are so firmly embedded in our minds, and a lot of them come from literature and art and, of course, religion. The Bible and the Buddha and the Hindus, there's this idealizations. Um, <clears throat> I did sort of glance through the Bible thinking about, okay, now where are the fathers and you know, the, the First Testament, the Jewish Bible, is an extraordinary list of genealogies. So being male and being a father in the Bible is about who fathered you and who you will be fathering. It's a position of authority, a sense of dignity. But then throughout both Testaments, um, there's this incredible notion of of father as failure. And I'll just lift up King David. He's one of many we could talk about. He refuses to protect his daughter Tamar. He refuses to discipline his son Ammon. And then he's never really willing to be reconciled to his other son, Absalom. Oh, and there are stories of rape and pillage. And... But then what's in the Bible are all these images of God as the father and all those idealizations of the father that is the protector, the father that is the ideal, um, the one that is in a position of authority that, that really does take his son under his wing. So I don't blame us for um, for having this mixed archetypal understanding of what it means to be a man and what it means to bring other generations into the world. God the Father is this kind, patient, firm, attentive, all-knowing. So like the Bible, like today, it's complicated. The hands of the fathers in the Bible do all those things. Destroy, create, nurture, punish. So maybe the other religious traditions are better, right? You know, Kronos of Greek mythology 
He ate all his kids. <laughs> Except for the last born. That was Zeus. And Zeus slayed him. And I read that story and I thought, oh, this makes me think of some murder cases in Tulsa that are getting a lot of notoriety. It still goes on. Uh, you may not know the story of Ganesha. You know, the, the elephant god? Well, Ganesha originally was um, a young boy, his, his mother, um, Parvati, creates Ganesha while her husband Shiva is away. Be careful what happens when you're away. She's a little lonely, a little bored, and she creates a creature and blows life into it, and Ganesha is born. Born like a, a human boy. And um, grows up in the household and when Shiva is bathing, I'm, I'm sorry, while Parvati is bathing, Shiva comes home. And Ganesha has been told to protect his mother who is bathing. Don't let anyone in the door. And the father is so outraged by this stranger, who actually is his son, he beheads him. It's complicated. <laughs> and so Pavardi begs Shiva to bring this now lifeless son back to life and what Shiva does is gets an elephant head and puts it on Ganesha and that's where we end up with Ganesha as the fierce protector with the elephant head then there's Buddha you know, I've done a lot of study of Buddhism, and I often want to rewrite that Buddhist story because it doesn't suit me, <laughs> which is what we all want religious texts. I want them to wait, tell the story the way I want to hear it because the Buddha is, is, grows up in this very privileged, princely household, protected in every possible way, which I so understand. That's what I want to do with my kids. I don't want them to feel any pain or sorrow or suffer. And that is the worst kind of parenting. <laughs> and the Buddha, Siddhartha at the time, realizes, no, I got to get the heck out of here. So he has married, and he completely leaves his family and wife and children. I'm like, you have to leave the family in order to find wisdom and I want to retell that story so that he what he goes looking for is whatever he's being protected from from death from poverty from old age and I want to say wait 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 Siddhartha if you just stay home it's all right there you just have to look around maybe covered up but it's there but anyway <laughs> the complication of of that a father has to leave to find fortune and to find truth and that it's not where you're rooted. See, these are all such complicated stories about what it means to be a man providing for a family. So let's step outside those architects and tell some very specific stories. I'm going to start with, um, this is not a, 
A journalist I'm familiar with, it may ring the bell for some of you. His, it's Lincoln Steffens. Some of you are nodding. He was at the last turn of the century a very active journalist, trailblazing, writing about government corruption. Please come back, Lincoln. We'd like you now. And uh, he's in his 50s. He's traveling in Italy with his wife. And um, he's 58, to be specific. And he's given this surprising news, utterly disorienting, that he now has the gift of fatherhood. And heres I just want you to hear what he has to say. So this is celebrating the gift that men have is to be able to procreate in a much longer span of time than women. And what a gift and a curse that must be. (laughs) But here's what he writes. A baby was coming, the doctor said, and he smiled when he saw how shocked I was. I did not want a baby. Did I? Fifty-odd years I'd lived without one, without a conscious wish for one. Anyway, I had long ago made up my mind that I would not, probably could not have a child of my own, and I was not only resigned, as I saw my friend staked out on a home, I had come to appreciate my singular liberty. Best of all, I remember my surprise at the discovery that I wanted that baby. The doctor, an Italian old in practice and wise in the ways of men, looked at my wife and laughed quietly with her at me. I did not care how weak and ridiculous I appeared. They say that the father has nothing to do with childbearing. He's a negligible, ridiculous figure, and they neglect and laugh at him. They set him aside, him and all men. Childbearing is women's business. The mothers, the nurses, the women neighbors. Even the doctors only called in to stand around ready to act as surgeon in an emergency. The woman nurse delivers the baby child normally, and as for the father... From the first kick to the final weaning and beyond, he's out of it, of no use, a hindrance, whose duty is to vanish. Well, like so many of the things, they say, this is bunk. It's an item in the great lie that they tell and live and fight for. They have put it over on young husbands for centuries. I am not a young husband. I am an old father. And so I have something to put over on them. I repeat, I, the father, first gave my baby love, and I, not the mother, gave him life, a soul, personality. Another story, more contemporary, from today. Author still living, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Have any of you read his work, Between the World and Me? This is, this is a fabulous book that is <clears throat> a letter to his son, 
a letter to his son about what it means to be born in this world, to be born black in this world, to be born black, and what it means to have a body. It is really one of the most moving books I've read. I encourage you. I'll read, I'll say the title again, Between the World and Me. And I'm just going to read you a piece. Because part of being a father is helping your child understand responsibilities and what it means to be accountable. Be accountable to yourself, to your own values, and to grow up in a world that is just as complicated in fatherhood. Those two happen to be closely intermingled. So how to be responsible as a human being, how to grow up with accountability. He writes, I write you in your 15th year. I am writing you because this was the year you saw Eric Garner choked to death for selling cigarettes because you know now that Renisha McBride was shot for seeking help, that John Crawford was shot down for browsing in a department store, and you have seen men in uniform drive by and murder Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old child whom they were oath-bound to protect. And you've seen men in the same uniforms pummel Marlene Pinnock, someone's grandmother on the side of a road, and you know now, if you did not before, that the police departments of your country have been endowed with the authority to destroy your body. It does not matter if the destruction is the result of an unfortunate overreaction. It does not matter if it originates in a misunderstanding. It does not matter if the destruction springs from a foolish policy. Sell cigarettes without the proper authority and your body can be destroyed. Resent the people trying to entrap your body and it can be destroyed. Turn into a dark stairwell and your body can be destroyed. And destruction is merely the superlative form of a dominion whose prerogatives include friskings, detainings, beatings, and humiliations. All of this is common to black people, and all of this is old for black people. No one is held responsible. It is hard to face this, but all our phrasing race relations, race, racial chasm, racial justice, racial profiling, white privilege, even white supremacy, serves to obscure that racism is a visceral experience, that it dislodges brains, blocks airways, rips muscles, extracts organs, cracks bones, breaks teeth. You must never look away from this. You must always remember that the sociology, the history, the economics, the graphs, the charts, the regressions, all land with great violence upon the body. And I fear for your body. What a thing to have to tell your son 
but I admire him for um, being willing to tell that to his son and share that with all of us. I remember fearing for my son's body, but then I realized, oh, he really has a full deck. So I'm going to briefly tell you a third story, and this is about my father. I don't talk about him much. I didn't know him well. But I talk about it because fathers are often absent, but that doesn't mean they didn't play an important role in your life. People are separated from their fathers for glorious and unavoidable reasons and for cowardice and uh, all the spectrum in between. And I'd have to say my father's own absence is that whole spectrum, actually. He and my mother lost their first two children, and I um, cannot imagine how that disrupted their marriage. But then they were strong enough and willing to go on and have three more children. I admire that. I'm lucky I'm here. I'm the last born. But then when I was six, my father had been drinking, I don't know how much, uh, playing poker with friends, came home and took a full bottle of aspirin. So um, he woke my mother up. Um, It was too late. They made it to the hospital, but he didn't survive. So my father committed suicide when I was six. So I grew up without a father, and I never understood what that meant, but I'm here to tell you that he's still there. There are seeds that he planted even before he died, or that friends who stepped in to father in his place enabled me to have certain comforts, to help my mother sort out what it meant to then raise three children, put us through school, help us financially, So I think about um, even those who have a father that's living, that part of fatherhood is trying to find who your father is. And that Father's Day brings up all that complicated, some of it wonderful, some of it terrible. But what it has made me do by not having a father is I've looked at all the men and noticed how they father. I've watched Joe Peralt become a father. I've watched many of you here in this sanctuary today reach out to other men and give them advice, give them support, actually serve as a very important father figure. And it is so beautiful to witness The last I want to talk about is uh, one of my favorite authors, Andrew Solomon. Has anyone read um, Noonday Demon or the book I'm going to talk about uh, is called Far From the Tree? So Noonday Demon, if you struggle with depression, is my favorite book on depression, and I used to buy it by the gobs and hand it out to people slightly out of date, but he documents his own depression and then the history of depression through the arts and literature and contemporary 
technology and psychology. His book, Far From the Tree, so he identifies as a gay man. And um, his story is about the spectrum of possibilities of being a father. That issue of being gender fluid, or we think a father has to be male, or that a mother has to be female. And um, I'll just read what he had to say. So, I had struggled for years with childlessness, and just when I'd reconciled myself to that sadness, I began to see its inverse, hope, and started to figure out how I could be fruitful and multiply. What I couldn't know then was whether I truly wanted children, or whether I simply wanted to prove everyone wrong who had pitied my sexual orientation. When you have longed for the moon and are suddenly offered its silver light, it's hard to remember what you intended to do with it. I had a history of depression. Was I giving up on that cheerless self in favor of some new happiness? Or was I going to be stuck with a lot of sadness for which I would need to find new structures? I could not bring children into the world if I could not protect them from my adventures in despair. Knowing that parenting is no sport for perfectionists, I had sought lessons in humility from the families I interviewed. So this book that he's writing about is he had gone to families who had children who, um, this won't sound right, but deviated from the norm, Down syndrome or other kinds of disabilities, and he wanted to know how those families worked. Knowing that parenting is no sport for perfectionists, I had sought lessons in humilities from the families I interviewed. In my anxiety, I also kept remembering something my mother said to me when I was heading off for my road test. The two things in life look incredibly daunting until you realize that almost everyone does them. Driving and having children. I had been unpopular as a child and children continued to intimidate me. I felt that in their eyes. I was still bad at dodgeball with a funny gait and emotionally gauche. I was still afraid of being called gay by children. But he goes on and he and his partner, he, so he does this incredible fathering. He fathers two children for um, a lesbian couple with whom he has had a long time relationship. He, um, he has a surrogate woman uh, use a mixture of sperm with his husband and they end up with two children that they now raise. It's part of that, you know, it's complicated, what, what we call a family. And so by what we call a family being such a broad spectrum, what we call fatherhood and being a father. So that's why I return to the men's group. I think it's of value to look at that binary of male, female more deeply together. 
and to look at those conflicting ideals and have a safe place where you can talk about who is your father. And if you're a father, have a place where someone will say, how's it going? You need some support? And if you're not a father, someone who says, how's it going? Need some support? So I have a Father's Day present for everyone, and it's thanks to the Jackson family. Rich reminded me that he and Ruth have a daughter, Catherine Kearns, who's done research on this very issue of what is it nurturing? What is nurturing? What does it mean to be a father? So I have an article for everyone as you walk out the door from the Wall Street Journal about how important fathers are and those stereotypes we have, how inaccurate they are. That disrupting father that agitates the baby before putting the baby to bed and the mother's like, no, 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 I'm trying to get him to go to sleep. It's a good thing the father does that. So when you walk by me, I have these for you. Thank you, Rich and Ruth. So I say happy Father's Day. It is complicated, but it's not. Thank you for all of you who nurture and protect and provide and play and do it imperfectly. May it be so.